it's a great privilege to be sharing God's words with you. By the way, I dressed up for the event. Really love the kids, the parents, um, seeing them dedicating kids. It's not an easy one. Um, how many of you, by the way, believe that uh, the breath that is in your lungs belongs to God? How many of you believe that? All right, it's fine. Some people, they don't believe. It's okay. Maybe before you leave this place, you'll believe that it's belong to God. I, I, I'm just, I didn't want it to rush as we were singing that song. It is your breath. When we go back, this is not part of my message, but when we go back to the beginning, that's what we see happening in the book of Genesis. He breathed on a man when he created. It's the breath of God, which means that he's got the right to take it. He's got the right to keep it, to let it continue. And uh, some of these things, I'm going to be uh, getting them come out in today's message uh, because once we are disconnected from him, then there is no life. It's good to see some old friends coming here this morning to be with us. And thank you to those of you who are joining online. So today we are, it's week four of our five-week series. And uh, as Leona said, it is our... It's a short series. We are looking at the DNA of our church. This is us. And um, in this series, we are trying to get clearer on who we are and who we are not as a church and the people of God. We want to really explain who we are and who we are not, especially in today's world where it is really difficult to separate the good and the bad especially in today's world where there are so many voices that are trying to shape us, in fact, even to shape the kids. When the parents, they stand in front, they said, we need help. Please stand with us. We want God's help so that we can raise these kids in the ways of God. It's because they understand that the culture can shape the kids if we don't have the help of God to raising our kids. So in week one, we landed with the idea that the gospel, we orientate our lives around, assigns us a purpose and mission in life. That's what we landed with week one. And uh, there was a statement in that message which said, we are gospels assigned people. In other words, we are gospel-centered people. Today we want to look at how we sustain this gospel-assigned life, or gospel-centered life. How do we sustain it? And we are going to be looking from the book of John. That's where we, we are going to be going through a few chapters and verses from there. But I want us to start by thinking through the difference in this statement that I'm going to give us. In the world for God versus in God for the world. In the world for God versus in God for the world. And I'm addressing this specifically to Christ followers. It is possible to be in the world for God and it is possible to be in God for the world. You can be both. And there is no middle ground. So let us explore this idea further in the scriptures as we look at John chapter 15. 
I'm going to be reading from NLT, but um, it's the same if you read from other version. Please stand with me. It's going to be on the screen. And uh, today's theme, I'm looking at God's presence. And I'm wanting to affirm that Christ followers are the people of God's presence. We are a people of God's presence. God's presence in our life or in our lives, it's important. So let's go to John chapter 15. We read from verse 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. This is Jesus. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like useless, a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a power to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. My prayer this morning is that God will help us through the Holy Spirit to remain in you, Jesus. Father, we are the branches, you are the vine. Lord, I pray that you will empower us through the Holy Spirit to be the people of your presence to be those who seek you, to be those who desire to be in you, and to be those who continue to remain in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So what do we discover here? I think uh, just one word from all these verses, you will excuse my pronunciation is proximity. I think you get what I mean. The closeness to God. That is a call. That's what we find from all these verses. It is a call to be close to Jesus. Jesus uses the imagery of the vine and the branches to help us understand what the life of a Christ follower is like. This is what he's trying to get us to understand. Your life, my life, our lives as common ground church. This is the image that, that Jesus is giving us. And the picture here is that of seeing ourselves as branches crafted into the vine. We have to see ourselves as branches crafted into the vine. There is a life sustaining, empowering life that a branch draws from the vine and into itself. That's what Jesus is trying to say. This life grows, it protects, sustains, develops the branch and everything connected to it. In fact, the result is that by, by the branch remaining to the vine, there are many fruits that are coming out of that. Because the branch cannot produce fruits without it being connected to the vine. 
And one way to understand the power of the vine is when you cut the branch from the vine. When you really, I think the proper language is, you know, there are seasons when each year you get to prune some, you know, some vine, the pruning. But when you remove a branch from the vine, it doesn't matter how long that branch has been connected to that vine. It will die the same day. It doesn't matter how long it has been connected to the vine. If you remove it, it will die. The moment a branch is cut off from a tree, it begins to die. And if you are a Christ follower, you might say, okay, if you are giving the picture of those branches and you are talking about death, but uh, here I am. I have been so far away from God, but I'm still alive. There is what is called a spiritual death. There is that. And as we go slowly, we are going to see as we look at different questions of, so what happens if we don't or what happens if we do? We'll get to that. As I said, it's not enough for the branch to have been connected for so long, for many years, etc. The moment it's removed, it starts to dry. Now I want us to look at this reality, how it plays out first in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament. Remember, we are looking at what life as a Christ follower is like under the banner of God's presence. And I want us to read these verses slowly and see them as an invitation from God to live in him in closeness to his permanent presence. Because a life of a Christ follower is to live on and in God and through God. It is not to live in the world for God, but it is to live in God for the world. So let's read Psalm 16, verse 7 to 11. And I want you to really listen to this very carefully. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. For he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Is this not incredible? Now we go into the New Testament, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul. It is no longer I, it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And in, life, and in the life I now live in the, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul is making a statement. 
a statement of historical redemptive fact. Paul is saying, I am dead. I was actually, when I thought I knew everything before encountering Christ, when I thought I was doing right, when I thought I was on the right path, I was actually dead. But the time I met Christ, I actually died even to my sins and ri rise with him. I am a living being now. I'm a new creature. I'm, I'm a born again. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. A statement of present redemptive reality. It's not just in the past what had happened to me. Right now as I'm living, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In other ways... It's no longer just about my desire. It's no longer just about my will, but it is about the will of God and God's desire for my life and not what I want for my life. It's what you want for my life. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a huge statement. I live by faith in the Son of God. It's not I live by faith because I can wake up in the morning, I check how much of God in my account, then I live by faith. This is not that. It's I live by faith because I can count on my job. This is not that. I live by faith in the Son. You can see again, it's the language of closeness, of presence, proximity. It's the language of being attached to the vine. In Jesus, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Living in light of the gospel right here and right now. In other words, Paul is saying, I cannot compromise. What I believe about God, no matter what happens to me, I am not going to compromise in this life. I will live by faith despite the circumstances and the challenges of this life. I am going to live by faith because I am in Christ. I am actually attached to the source of life. What does this mean for us? The life, it means this. The life that I live now in my office, in my community, in the classroom, around the dinner table, in my marriage, it's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. Is this not incredible? This actually helps us. The decisions that we have to make, they are not going to be based on emotions and feelings. The decisions are going to be based on what we believe as people of God, as children of God, as Christ followers, based on the word of God. In the world for God or in God for the world. If you want to bear fruit in our world, you have to be in God. But I have to add this. If you, you and I want to bear good fruits, because not all fruits are good, we have to be in God. There is no substitute for proximately. You cannot bring something else and add on something else when it comes to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's read John chapter 1 verse 35. 
The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. They remained with Jesus the rest of the day. They forget about John. The call to follow Jesus is that it is a call to closeness to him. It is a call to be in proximately to him, to be with him in his presence. And back in the day, when someone said, follow me, it's not like today. Today you follow people you don't know. It's not like Twitter. Follow me, you click. They don't know you. You don't know them. YouTube, you click and you sit and you're just following people who don't know you. They don't know about your life. You don't know about their life. But back in the day, it wasn't like that. You had to relocate. You had to pack your bags. You had to follow your rabbi. You had to be with him, to be with him and spend time with him. It's not like today. And if you are celebrating by having a lot of followers, I'm sorry. It's just, oh, I, I don't know how to call it because it's, it's not really real. When it comes to a relationship with God, even back then, uh, back then it was you pack your stuff, you follow Jesus. It was an invitation to be with him. When you become a disciple, you literally walked, walked away from life. You walked away from your own desires, your occupation even. You're all wild and took on the life of your rabbi. You follow Jesus completely. You surrender to him. By the way, this has always been the way of God. Not only in the New Testament, it has been always the way of God from the start. The story of the Bible is driven and unfolds with God's presence being manifest with his people. We see this in the Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the temple, the person of Jesus, the church, and the new heaven and new earth. It is the way of God to be with his people. You know, Eden was God's century, sort of a garden temple where God and people dwelt when we read from Genesis. And fast forward to the end of our Bible, and we see a very similar picture, but on a much larger scale, all of heaven has collided with the whole earth to make a perfect sanctuary for God to dwell with man. In Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4, that's what we are told. Eden has returned and expanded into new heaven and new earth where all of God's people enjoy his presence eternally. We are a people of God's presence. But then the question is, then what happened now that Jesus is not with us right now? How are we to follow him? Because back then you can say it was easy because they saw the man, they walked with him, 
and uh, they could relate and they could actually listen. He could have conversation with them. They could have meal with him. What does it look like to be with Jesus on the other side after he has gone to be with the Father? Jesus prepared them for that. In fact, he prepared us also for, for that. Let's read from John 14. Jesus says this, If you love me, obey my commandments. He's preparing his disciples, the first disciples, and he's preparing even those who come after. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Who will never leave you? He is the Holy Spirit. Who leads into all truth? The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and does not recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocates as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Wow. Never leave you, Jesus promised. Never leave you. I will never abandon you as orphans. By the way, those of you, maybe you live with orphans, Jesus is using the language so that we can understand. You know how orphans are. We've got two in our family. Insecure, fearful, don't know what will happen tomorrow. Because when the parents are not there, the biological parents, they feel like their hand has come. The world is finished. The world has collapsed. What is going to happen to us? What, are, what about our dreams? We often sit with our girls, we look at them, we say, you know what, we might not be your biological parents, but we want you to know, be secure. We will do even more. We want you to know we are here. It's the issue of presence. And Jesus is really telling us to say, don't worry, I might not be in this body, but I'll never leave you. I will be with you in spirit. So your dreams, your hope should not die. I am going to be there for you and with you. In fact, I will be in you. God bless that brother. <laughs> Jesus is not working with us, but rather he has sent us the Holy Spirit. The question you might be asking, but how? How are we to be with Jesus? That's a good question. Let's look at a few things. The first one, just sentence, or a statement you can take. Our primary goal as followers of Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of connection to the Spirit of God. 
This is how we are able to be with Jesus, our rabbi. We have to be constantly be connected to the Spirit. We must invite him into our everyday moments and learn to always be in two places at once. Now I explain this. We have to learn to be in two places at once in this way. At home and with Jesus. At work and with Jesus. While driving and with Jesus. On dinner table and with Jesus. In your community and with Jesus. And, and, and with Jesus. We learn to be at two places at the same We learn to be with Jesus while we are doing other things. We are with Jesus. We are to bring his presence into the routine of our daily life. Dallas Willard says this when it comes to God's presence. The first and most basic thing we can do, must do, and must do, is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of uh, caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our, our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new, grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is great, if God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the poster of our inward beings. This is so powerful. We have to put some spiritual disciplines in place. So we need to personally prioritize time with God. And there are practices that enables us to do this. And I'm just going to give us a few of those practices. Take, for example, morning and evening prayers. That's something that you can practice if you are not doing, doing that already. Reading and memorizing parts of the Bible. You know, the scriptures that I've given you today, uh, you know, John 15, it may be a long one, but you can just go and read and say, remain in me. Just remember, remain in me. Once you remember that you know it's from John, remain in me, and you can just try to memorize that all the time. And when temptations are coming and you feel like you're alone, just be reminded, remain in me, I'm here. There are family practices and rhythm that you need to put in place. Dallas Willard says, as we continue this practice gently but persistently, we soon will find that the person of Jesus and his beautiful ways are automatically occupying our minds instead of the clutter and noise of the world, even the church, the church world. The noise is not just of the world. There is also another noise of the church world. 
lot of noise. Bring a bottle of water, I'll pray for you. Go and sleep outside when it's cold without clothes. And go do this and this and this. All oh, these are noise. But Jesus is inviting us. You know, when you start to spend time in God's word, when you, you start to spend time in prayer, when you start to spend time in the morning, in the evening, you know, trying to hear and listen God, that whisper, you know, soft voice, as you read the word of God, God will surely speak to you. Let's take, for example, family practices and rhythms. God manifests himself when we are together in a way that he does not when we scattered and on our own. Now, you have to get this right. I am not saying that when you are on your own, God is not there. But when we come together like this, there is a presence of God in a very unique way. This is why Jesus says that where two or more are gathered in, in his name, there he is with them. There is something, it is a promise that God has given to his church. So that's why we as a church, we have Sunday gatherings. We don't do Sunday gatherings because we want just to follow the tradition. No, we come together because we believe in God's presence. We come together because it is a promise. When we come together, Jesus is with us. When we come together, we are not just remaining the same way that we came, but God is doing his work in our lives. He's transforming us. God is bringing about healing, both physical and spiritual healing. That's the reason why we've got relational groups. Where small groups of people gather to share their lives and to pray for each other and Christ is with them. That's the reason why we have on our calendar dedicated worship gathering when we come together. This is not to say, let's just put a lot of stuff so that people can feel more spiritual. No, we are very intentional because we know that we are the people of God's presence. And when we come together, God is with us. That's the reason why you hear the announcement about the fast. That's the reason why where there are issues of justice, we come together and we pray. Where there are issues happening in this nation, we come together, you know, gather together and say, let's pray for the nation. We do that because we believe that God, his presence is with us. We are a people of God's presence and God will hear our prayers. That's the reason why we organize retreats and camps. And when these things are organized, you have to remember, we don't want you just to be there. We believe that when we come together, something is happening. We are not here for numbers. And let me say to you, you coming to those opportunities is not doing me a favor. It's doing you a favor. All right. So if you think you are punishing the elders, you are not. You are actually missing out to something which is so important for your soul. I was expecting a big amen. amen. Now here's what is important again for us to hear. Family rhythms, not only do they strengthen relationships when we come together within the church and bond us together as brothers and sisters, 
but they provide unique opportunities for us to be with Jesus that we cannot get in any other way or in other settings. Friends, we have the biggest gift waiting for us. The invitation to come and follow Jesus is actually what the whole world needs and longs for. Even if they don't know it, and yet our eyes are open, we Christ followers, we know, we see that this is a great gift and it's available to us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants us to remain in him. He's the one inviting us. What happens if we don't? That's a good question. If we are not ruthless about being with Jesus, our culture will simply shallow us up. That's what will happen to us. Remember, the system is perfectly designed to get the result that you are currently getting. I'll explain this. The system is, the result you are currently getting, whether you call it national or global system, the result you are getting, it is designed like that. Never before in history has the world demanded more of your time, more of your life and attention than now. There are companies that are coming each day, they are thinking how they can come up with new apps on your phone. They are thinking how they can produce more series. And some of you, you are sitting here already, you said, we didn't finish that part. You are just wanting to go back so that you can continue that series. There are companies who are bringing up a lot of ads. They are demanding your attention. They are demanding my attention. They want us to be with them. They don't want us to be with Jesus. Think about the amount of time that you spend on television and the amount of time that you spend in the Word of God. We become what we are eating. We become what we are feeding ourselves. And guess what are, what are the results? The results, the result is more rushed. You know, if there is a place where I've never heard the word busy, it's in Cape Town. I am busy, I am busy, I am busy. Can you, I'm busy. It's, we become, you know, more rushed, stressed, fearful, isolated, alone, anxious, and trusting being is who we are becoming, or we have become. We prefer to be on the hubs than to be face to face. We are just becoming a reflection of the culture. Parents, those of you who dedicated your kids this morning, is this what you want to pass to your children? Fear? Stress? Rushed life and all that? If you don't want to pass these things to your children, as you said, you declare it yourself this morning, then you have to implement being, becoming intentional about your spiritual disciplines. Make sure that they start to see what you are doing. 
because they'll follow into your footsteps. Because if they don't see that, it's not going to be possible. By all means, I am not an expert in this area of spiritual disciplines. I'm just an ordinary person who is struggling with issues like you, but each and every day I cry for God's grace and his mercy to help me so that I don't drift from his will. So I'm not spared from all these temptations that I'm talking about. We simply cannot expect lives to look, our lives to look and be different than our world if we live like our world. We cannot expect our lives to look different. We become what we are feeding ourselves with. A lot of news, a lot of friends, a lot of family, a lot of, you know, everything is a lot, a lot. We are in a culture where accumulating of things is acceptable. And the more you get, the more you want. But what happens if we do? And I'm going to be landing now. What happens if we do? What does this mean for our lives? How does this impact our church life? The answer is in John 14. Listen to this. I am leaving you with a gift. This is Jesus. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give you. So don't be troubled or afraid. This is a promise. Jesus said, I'm leaving you with this gift. As Christ followers, his presence is vital to human flourishing and our lives as Christians. Spending time with God, talking to him, hearing from him, just consider what happens when we do this. I'm going to give us a list, then we'll be out of this place. I know that you've had enough of me. And some of you are saying, can't you just land it? It is for your good, it is for my good. Now listen to this. When we do, when we give ourselves, when we implement, we prioritize to be with Jesus, this is what happened. It gives us boldness and confidence to stay the course. It shapes our moral imagination in a confusing age. It renews our minds. It calms our anxieties. It secures our identity when we are shaken by lies. That these lies, this is not me. I am someone else. But when we are in the presence of God, he affirms to say, it is you. This is who you are. You are not someone else. Reinforces our purpose in a world of competing visions. There are so many visions in this world, but it reinforces our purpose in life. Why am I here? Where did I come from and where am I going? It reinforces that when we spend time in, in the word of God. It gives us clarity in our calling among all other options. But we become so clear that I am called by God to live a certain type of life and that is not me. It allows us to locate ourselves relationally in the universe. It shows us with mercy and grace when we've drifted off. You know, when we are going to the side, we know that there is the mercy of God. The mercy of God is new every day, every morning. The mercy of God is there. And His grace is available to us when we hold on to His promises. 
It shelters from the storm of life. It provides an ear to listen when no one else is around. You know, when there is no one, when you think you are alone, I want you to know you are not alone because he's there. When you are a person or when we are a people of God's presence, we can believe that when we spend time in his presence, he's there, he can hear. It brings satisfaction for the yearning in our souls. God bless you. Can I ask us to stand? Please. I think we'd all agree that we want, the, we, we want and need all these things. And they are all only found in the presence of God by being with Jesus. When we practice morning and evening prayers, reading and memorizing parts of the Bible, family practices and rhythm, participate in corporate worship, Sunday gathering and relational groups, when we do all these things, we can really live a life, as Jesus said, I have given you the gift that the world cannot give you, and for sure the world cannot give you the peace that you are looking for. The peace and the joy that I'm looking for, the world cannot give it to us. If you don't mind, please, if you can bow your head. I just want to read again this verse of our lives as we leave this place. My prayer is that for you and for me, that by the grace of God, that we'll be a people of God's presence and will continue to remain in him as scriptures cause us to do. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and art, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. God bless you.